0: Our guest in the very first episode of the Workplace podcast is Pierre Bata. He's an award winning leadership and workplace specialist. He speaks and trains across Canada and in the United States. He is a longtime workplace columnist, blogger, nationally syndicated broadcaster for CBC, a TEDx presenter, and a former senior manager in HR. Previously a management professor at Mount Allison University, his book, Humanity at Work, was published in September. Pierre, thank you so much for being our very first guest on the Workplace Podcast. How are you? Hi, William. I'm just great,
1: and I'm delighted to be with you this morning.
0: I have such fond memories of you. We first met in Harvard, where we ended up sitting beside each other. And even then, um, I learned so much from you and from other people on the course, um, as well as the, the faculty that were there. And what I remember most about you was... That you were the person that was way ahead of the curve. You were the person doing your your weekly radio show or podcast, and you were, you know, had an Apple iPad, you know, recording the notes, you know, um, and you were just streets ahead of everybody. That was that was eight years ago, and I've such fond memories of you of waving a little Canadian flag or giving me maple sweets. So, uh, so they're my wonderful memories of you, and I have to say. When your book came out, I was so excited uh, to see you publish that book. And as I commented on LinkedIn, uh, this was the book that I wish I had written about leadership. And our topic of today then is is leadership in troubling times. So uh, for you, what, what what are your memories of me? well well the ones that i can tell on the
1: podcast have to do uh mainly with, uh, with 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 learning so much from everybody around us and you'll you'll remember william that we were we were both i think adopted by a a rather uh boisterous crew of australians who uh who saw to it as you'll recall that we had many a cross cultural uh conversation at the end of the day to properly review our notes and and uh, and focus on the learnings of the day so it was, say it was but it was intense right don't you remember yeah. it? I remember it as being very intense I also remember it quite frankly as a, a very key turning point in my practice where I you know you and I have chatted about this before it was it was you know taking the HR background that I had uh, really cultivated over the years and thinking about how does that How does that relate to leadership development and is that where I want to be? And that's exactly what happened coming out of Harvard for me is a a rethinking, a retooling and and just a redefinition of what I was doing. Did did it have that kind of impact for you?
0: Yeah, and it's funny. It's the relationships that we've built over time. It was very transformational for me on different levels from a personal level, but also it gave me that confidence when I was, you know, um, running leadership courses or the, the executive coaching piece. It did give me a certain level of confidence because I knew then where to focus my energies and really, you know, when there's a struggle going on for a leader is to look at it through a different lens. And we'll, we'll talk about that as the podcast goes on you know, and what's great about it because of COVID, then we've been able to reconnect with other people that were on the course and ourselves, we got to, we got to reconnect and I got to attend um, your book launch that would never have happened if it wasn't for COVID.
1: Of course, and you added, of course, you added being a a very North American focused book launch for the most part here in Canada with some Americans on board, some of whom you know actually from, from Harvard, but um, yes, you added quite an international flair to our little event. We had a few other Europeans, but it was it was wonderful to have you there. And you know, those events, as, as you know, um, they just, the, the conversation in the case of what I chose to do, as you'll recall, was to showcase some of the people in the book, which I um it just occurred to me at one point people would rather hear from them than hear from me and as it turned out as you'll recall um you know they brought different tastes and perspectives to the work uh, one on anti-racism and the other just on hr practices to to add to the piece but but as as the book really became a tool for leadership development you know coming out of harvard and kind of rethinking my purpose in some sense rethinking how can I be most helpful to people um, and how can I make people's lives easier in their role as managers, um, then, then the book just seemed to make sense coming out of all of that. But that was really, that whole wave began, really started at Harvard and you were part of that.
0: And I appreciate that. Thank you for saying that, Pierre. And what I really liked about your book and how I was a bit jealous, if I'm honest, um, how you written that book was you took it from three different levels. So it's the the leader as a person and, you know, that humanity at work, really understanding yourself, then moving to the team and then then looking at it through an organizational lens. And that's the beauty about the book is that it looks through the different lenses as a leader where you need to be looking at. And also what's really good for our listeners to know is that there are really good reflective questions at the end. So you're bringing people on a leadership journey within the book, which is, which is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I think I need to give some credit to my editor, um, Don Lonnie, who had, you know, he's edited 300 nonfiction business books and he, you know, of course, shaped by my writing, said, you know, you're really taking people through this kind of self-reflective exercise. And 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 to your point, I I think I think my work with leaders, and I'd be curious to know if yours experience, your experience has been the same. Is you do start with the individual, in, in spite of the fact, um, I mean, back to my organizational days when people would come and sit in my office and would bemoan the the reality of of one thing or another in relation to their people practice, if you will, when I was in HR. Um, but invariably, if you ended up working with that manager, that individual, you know, there were some things that were very core to them as people that shaped how they lead. And, and I think sometimes when leaders go astray, maybe it's because they've lost connection with some of those very basic elements, be it our values and how we show up and the, the voice that we choose to, to use when we're, when we're working with people and our, our, our choice of language and so on and so forth. So so it just seemed only natural to me that, that we do it from kind of from the inside out, if you will. And and uh, uh, I'm interested by the fact that you said, you, you'd like to write the book, you'd have liked to have written the same book. Well, maybe I can get you to continue this one because just when I'm getting to culture at the end, you know, the area that you and I uh, in our practices, spend a lot of time on working. I was just, we were just getting going, right? <laughs>
0: right? Yeah. 100
1: pages later. Um, because certainly I, I think I spent a lot of time in the book um, on really helping the individual leader, emerging leader, established leader, one day soon to be a leader, really kind of get very clear on some of the essence of how do I get the people around me um, mobilized? Um, and, and for me, that really centers around the whole notion of, you know, expectations and how I craft roles and how I, you know, so the book goes into that to, to some extent and more the system side of objective setting and that kind of thing. Because I think it's foundational. Um, but upon, upon that, I think I spend much more time on, uh, you know, the, the question for me, William, was how do we pay attention to people at work? You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question. The numbers are, are staggering the one thing that differentiates people who are engaged and not engaged in large part is how much attention are we paying to them? So all of that was just fascinating to me. So that's why I think I, I really hang around the team part of the book, right? The middle part, my team, how do I, as the team leader, the most infectious contagious person in this group of eight, 10, 12, 15 people. I think that's really where I wanted to spend my time and energy. And that's where we ended up spending the time. Um, But you're right. We, we close with, really talking about culture and how we impact culture and so on. So, so it was, it was an interesting romp and I'm going to guess it's like every one of your podcasts you say, Oh my goodness, what will I talk about with this guest as you're starting to map things out? And then next thing you know, 35 minutes has gone by. Well, writing the book was much, much better. Is that how it feels like when you're doing podcasts? Oh my goodness. I don't know what I want to talk about. And then all of a sudden the time is gone.
0: Yeah. Like often I find that we're, in terms of the topic that we want to discuss, we could have discussed four hundred topics, you know, and we could go on for three or four four hours. And that brings me back to this week's topic, which is leadership in troubling times. And just before we started recording here, I was reminding you that our first night in Harvard together, we actually discussed this whole topic of leadership in troubling times, and you know, leadership there's really a spotlight on it when an organization or a team is in crisis this is where your leadership really shows and you know if you haven't been practicing good leadership traits or skills you're going to get found out pretty quickly you know and it's this whole crisis mode that people are in you know is that's really important part of that if you're in trouble as a leader then how do you get your way out of that and i think your book is a good way to for help to help people to navigate their way out of that where it's those, those practical elements about setting expectations as you mentioned before prior to, prioritization so that that leadership management piece getting the balance right mm-hmm. i think is really important what, what are your thoughts like if you were to you know have you experienced people who are leaders that are in trouble you know that have you know they might be losing sleep at night or whatever what are your what are your insights?
1: Yeah, I, I think I think to, to your point that the the times that we're in probably exacerbates some things, right? I, I think leaders create conditions, and initially they create conditions for themselves. You know, we, we create our own systems. You know, I, I kid when I work with leaders, as, as probably you do, but you know, I always say that the office of the of the general manager, or the office of the deputy minister, or the office of the superintendent, and they laugh at me because they say, well. I'm the office. Well, not really. You know, you're there's a number of systems and processes that enable us to kind of get a sense of what we need to do, because to your point, you know, leadership managers are pulled in so many ways. It's a chaotic and frenetic pace at all all the time. And then and then so if I don't have my wits about me to some extent in times that are relatively calm, pretty hard to, to kind of jump to the crisis as, as one needs to do. And I think leaders ultimately, you know, you do two things. For me, it's about creating conditions uh, all the time. And, and then it's about intervening, right? And, and in times of crisis, I think the whole notion of, of when do I step in and when do I not? And of course, the compulsion, I think, for most people is to step in a lot because there's a crisis and to reel things in and to bring things back to the, to the core team and to in some ways kind of shut out some individuals, right? So uh, it was interesting to me watching what happened through COVID and as, as does through all crisis in any organizational setting, that natural propensity to kind of hunker down and, 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 and centralize decision-making and, and maybe leaders who typically would be very inclusive and, and wanting to hear diverse voices Um, in their decision making and let's recognize that times are dire, you need to act quickly and sometimes you can't consult, I get that, but um, I think think there's a a whole notion of moving in crisis, if there was one thing I tried to to mention to leaders is bring people in rather than shut people out at a time when you're maybe tempted, to. now you do have to simplify things, you need to strip things down, operationally I get that, Um, but yeah, so I I think that's one piece for me, the leader in crisis is... Is first of all to kind of proactively be always thinking of how do I get my office of the leader in in shape so that when when things are are tough and difficult that I I can rise to that occasion. Because um, I'm wondering what your experience has been but you know the data certainly shows that people need their leaders more than anything else when things are hard, right? So at the best of times I get motivational value from hanging around with my leader but at times like this, you know, I I need a direct, I need a plan, I, I need to know what my role is. And I need to know that, you know, you need to tell me that you care. You know, I think those are the three things for me that leaders in crisis uh, revisit people's roles and expectations of them frequently, be talking a lot about the plan and where we're headed and really show people you care. I, I think that's where where people respond.
0: Yeah, and, and for me, what I've noticed is is, and you touched upon that is, when people are in crisis mode you know they they tend to you know maybe remove themselves from all their resources and i mean by people or trusted advisors or whoever you know and you know you're not fully harnessing the potential of the group there in terms of all these challenges you know that we need to overcome together and i think sometimes leadership people see it as a lonely place that you cannot discuss or yeah, cannot be vulnerable or, you know, um, you're pushing through changes without actually checking in with your stakeholders or your frontline workers to say, actually, okay, they're the challenges. What do you think the solutions are? So you mentioned inclusivity there and, you know, they're my experiences that often some of my clients or some people are telling me are, that they're really frustrated with their leaders because they're not really fully listening. And I think as a leader, you need to listen at two levels. One, you need to listen to yourself, and that's the reflection piece. We'll come back to that. And then you need to listen to your people who know best, your subject matter experts, the people who know the customer. What are your, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, 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 to, to your point, I think, I think listening is one of the casualties of crisis, right? I think we, we become very expeditious, don't we? Um, let's just think of ourselves in terms of how we get through our day to day. Under when things are 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 pressed, we, yeah, we 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 do, we don't necessarily behave at our best. And and to your point, pulling people in, the reflex to pull people in versus pushing people away, I think I think there's lots of leaders that could learn that lesson any day of the week, let, al- let alone in crisis mode, right? And I think I, I think the the power of having our teams really rise to the occasion. Um, is a function of how I intervene, and how I set expectations, and all the things that we've talked about. And, and you know, to, to the loneliness, I, I talk a lot about the leadership fishbowl, um, which is this kind of lonely place where I sit in a bowl, and everybody's watching my every move, and they listen to my every word. Or maybe they don't listen to my every word as much as I wish they would. But they certainly dissect my every word. And that can be a pretty lonely place. And I, and I think there's some individuals coming out of this exercise that are that are feeling that, right? They're feeling that. So, so, to kind of turn that on its head, if you're a leader who kind of has a learning kind of a bent, if your learning culture is part of your DNA, then you're probably asking more questions as a leader anyway, right? So, so to, to those who may have a natural tendency to hunker down a little bit and maybe to close themselves off, the, the one thing I would urge those people to try is why don't you try asking a lot of questions? Um, and then, if you have to, put your hand over your mouth so you can listen till the person is done speaking and, and, and engage in that way. So, so I think kind of morphing into, you know, in crisis, the more we morph into this kind of learning, the value of learning in my practice of leadership and starting with the very simple, of, the very simple thing of just asking lots and lots and lots of questions. And I think invariably people may feel heard a little bit more than otherwise
0: and it's it's not to avoid that temptation to just you know adopt one leadership style. So we talked about this before, and I was talking about you know that do people fully utilize the coaching style of leadership? You know, do they tend to do the pace setting or the commanding piece a bit too much? And uh, you know, and I'm I'm referring to the Goldman leadership styles here. Yep. Yep. And it all goes back to emotional intelligence, isn't it? And it's it's about like, you know, are you having that time to reflect in terms of okay, what's going on for me? What's going on for others? You know, how does my team see me? How does my organization see me? So, in terms of my personal brand and the culture, and there's or you know, you were talking about the system that you're creating for yourself. Is that, are you helping yourself? Are you doing yourself, you know, not so nice favors, you know? So are you putting an enablers in place or are you putting up barriers, which eventually would just lead to conflict?
1: It's interesting when I you know we speak of the styles you and I have chatted about this offline I think that you know I'm a recovering headhunter and I used to do a fair lot of recruitment and selection at senior levels and I remember the collective disappointment of selection committees when we would ask a candidate what's your leadership style and they would say one thing you know they might say I'm a really good coach or they'd say you know I tend to be very democratic or I I tend to lead you know fairly directively because of the nature of and the collective disappointment, right? Because we wanted people to say, oh well I've got four or five approaches that I draw from based on situations, so don't we all want to hear about situational leadership? And then don't we all, as those who develop leaders, help individual leaders really understand situations so they can apply the best tool? I mean you can can have all, all the tools but if you're reading everything as, you know, I need to coach, I need to coach, I need to coach, in spite of the fact that you could draw from other approaches. So I think, I think it's about situational awareness, to your point about, you know, Goldman's work and so on. If I can have that kind of individual awareness about myself, about my team, and about our situation, then I think I've got a better shot, probably, at being able to draw on the tools that are maybe the best tool for the job at any given point in time.
0: Yeah, and I'm going to take up on that as a a shot that, you know, I'm, I'm going to segue here into what I would often say to people in my workshops is like a leadership style is just like a golf club, all right? And if you're constantly just using the driver and you're just, you know, whatever condition that you're in, you know, whatever the weather conditions, you know, that if you constantly just use the same club, you're going to have disastrous results. So sometimes it's definitely using your 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 wood or your you know sorry I'm not great at golf other, you know
1: other tools yeah other
0: yeah the other clubs other that you have in your toolkit yep. and I think it's about finding that balance and for me leadership is all about balance you know how much do you delegate to others how much do you take responsibility you take on to yourself so it's that whole notion that you know and my approach and your approach is pretty similar is that whole notion of empowerment give people the tools and making sure you're not overusing one or underusing another you know it's about knowing what tools and sometimes when it comes to organizational frameworks that are at your disposal
1: for me balance really speaks to the kind of the the underpinning of the book too, you know, this notion that <clears throat> just in the subtitle, you know, it is about how do I balance that notion of results and relationships? How do I, how do I drive for the, for the results that I need in order for our organization to be sustainable and relevant um, whilst creating the kinds of relationships that allow us to do that in a sustainable fashion? You and I have both worked with leaders who achieved great results but it was not sustainable and, and, and people like you and me are sometimes called in to help organizations pick up the pieces from leaders or managers whose approach, although effective in the short term and maybe delivered the results, just, just left the thing in tatters. So is there a balance is there? And I argue that there is. And, and right back to the old research in the 60s of Blake and Mouton who said, yes, I can share a concern for people and a concern for results. And, and just like the whole notion of work-life balance, I don't know about you, but when I think about work-life balance, um, just to kind of on, on a bit of a parallel, you know, I don't think anybody's ever full-time in balance, right? I, I, I think of things being actually kind of grossly out of balance sometimes, and then not at all in others, and then sort of again, you know what I mean? As opposed to this kind of continuum of balance. Well, same thing. I believe that leaders, there are times they're going to test the relationships, they're going to push people, maybe in times of crisis, maybe in times of survival, that quite frankly those practices might not be their favorite nor what they would opt for normally. But certainly if I've created a groundwork with my team that that is only one of the things that we, I sometimes need to do. We need to, we need to be <clears throat> a little forceful at times because the situation calls for it, conversely you know, that's built upon, you know, every time I have an exchange with an employee, that exchange is probably positive, hopefully 80% of the time. And I'm cultivating and building all of that that enables me to, to draw on the harsher approaches if I need to. So I, I love this notion of balance. William, I think you're spot on. I think, I think if leaders could bring that idea of balance to many of the things that they do and understand that sometimes they will be completely off kilter, and out of balance, but all systems will return to equilibrium, right? As long as we kind of prioritize that.
0: And that goes back to the work that we did in in terms of adaptive leadership. And, you know, uh, Heifetz and Linsky were talking about this whole notion of work avoidance. And where the work is at is maybe having a difficult conversation or a bit like yourself you were talking about you know that system that's you know in in equilibrium you know is how do you disrupt that or how do you prod or you know make sure that you know we're talking about the right things in the workplace so sometimes it's about uh, a personality flex for me that i have to focus more on people and the task Sometimes I'm focusing too much on the people and I need to say, listen, we're here to make money and, and, you know, we have to make a profit. So in order to survive, you know, so again, what leadership is all about is decision making, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's And it's knowing when to tap into the flex that I, I need to adapt here or when it's to lean into my team to say, OK, I don't have all the answers here. Um, I need you to go to your teams and find out what are the solutions that help us overcome this. It
1: speaks to bias, doesn't it? I think, I think leaders have a certain bias going in. We're shaped. We're shaped by those who led us. We're shaped by trying to avoid the practices of our bad bosses. We probably got promoted because we delivered in the past. Um, hopefully, maybe we also watched people who had the kind of ability to intervene in ways that that inspired us um, and hopefully we saw people really take the bull by the horns by times and teach it so you know I, I think I think you and I and, and many of our colleagues are helping those leaders fill in some of the gaps aren't they I mean all I've, I've met few I'd be interested in, in your perspective I've met few fully rounded leaders unless they were diligently working at their leadership practice the ones who really took those, those, those reflective questions seriously, be it in my book or through good coaching from somebody like you or otherwise, um, just the idea of being able to say, this is a practice that as long as I'm going to be in this work needs to evolve and grow and improve and make progress. And I think if w- people like you and I and those of our ilk who want to help organizations um, prosper and help individuals, Boy, if, if, if we could just do that one. thing. I remember one of my uh, one of my colleagues. One day, she's a former vice president of HR in, in the gaming industry, and she said, and I and she was leaving. She was stepping out of the gaming business and going into coaching of all things. And, and she said, and I said, what's the one thing you wish for the organization as you're leaving? You know, she had spent ten years working with a management team and really building. Them up. And you know, she said, William, this is really good. She says, I just wish that people would understand that leading others is not a side of desk activity, And that really resonated with me in terms of how, the again, right, the inundated manager, the inundated team leader who sees team leadership, who sees people leadership as one of the components. Now, you and I might have a different take on that, right, in terms of where that belongs. But it's certainly not a side of desk activity so, so I I am I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that I think as we've seen the advent of coaching for example over the course in leadership cultures now and organizational cultures now are embracing the fact that you know we need to make our managers, supervisors, team leaders better at what they do and I think that, that kind of openness to that investment in whatever way that looks like but the most important investment William wouldn't you agree is individual leaders betting on themselves and willing to invest time and energy in their own practice. Don't you think that at the core, we can do lots of great things, but at the core, if those leaders don't have that thirst or that curiosity to kind of evolve their practice, we're probably going to have a harder time and so will their organizations, don't you think?
0: Yeah, and that's a lot of work that I'm doing right now is that if you get the leadership piece right, that trickles then it feeds the system the system will flourish what i mean the system is obviously the organization and the values and the behaviors uh, that that culture is is built upon and for me you're you're dead right in terms of emotional intelligence then is you know that if people are focusing on that coaching piece that that practice of leadership is you will create those followers you know in your organization and those followers will run through walls for you you know if they have a a leader that they can believe in and for me i'm thinking of a specific ceo now and i think he is hands down probably one of the best ceos i've ever come across and lucky enough he's irish i'm not going to mention his his name um until i get his permission um but it it is and it's why i was attracted to the title of your your book humanity at work is he sees a place for vulnerability in his own leadership practice and i was with him in in terms of the participants of a a a leadership development program and he was just new into the role and he talked about having imposter syndrome in front of all of these young leaders and i was like you know what this is a person who knows where the work is at and he's going to highlight it that to be a success in this business, and for the organization to be a success, these are the conversations we need to have. For me, that was an extraordinary, extraordinary way to provide that insight to a leader. To say, you know, Imagine
1: what? The vulner, the, excuse me, the vulnerability message that's being delivered by a CEO who's willing to open, right? I mean, that just that alone. If we're modeling as leaders, if you're modeling that kind of behavior, um, I I think you know we. we, I think people forget. You know, Mm. people forget how how much influence they have. Isn't that amazing that somebody with those achievements, that an imposter syndrome and that type of vulnerability. And then yeah. to have the courage to own up to that with your teams and, and yeah. work with them who you've got to know there's some people around that table who are have the same thing and are probably having the same moment that I am and saying wow my leader is doing this and it's okay for me and we can work through this I think that's the other edge to it right the edge to it for me William is th- that's not a that's not a state that we're going to hang around in for very long as leaders we, we, the state is one that says is one of really understanding where we are absolutely sharing that vulnerability, absolutely uh, learning all of its lessons, and then working to close gaps around that. I think, right. I think that's where the, the statement of vulnerability is so useful.
0: And, and that for me then is that's what you were saying about your, your clients that was going into coaching is what do you want to be remembered for? What's your leadership legacy? And for me, you know, um, that's pure gold, you know, um, in terms of what is your focus. When I show up today, what do I want think, people to think about me? What do I want them to feel? What, what do I want them to do? What actions do I want them to take or behaviours I want them to adopt? And for me, you know, leadership is a lot about discipline. It's having that discipline to to have balance to be reflective and it's an art leadership is an art you have to practice it and if you're not doing that uh reflection piece it's a bit like you know any type of mastery like unless you're actually reflecting what you're doing and this is this whole notion of reflection and action how do you really know you're 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 mastering the craft of leadership and i we we talked about this before is it's looking at leadership through different lenses whether that's a a values lens or a, a personal personality type lens, you know, a culture lens, you know, an organizational system lens, or even understanding your business and your sector. You know, there's so many lenses to we need to talk about. And we talked about this before in terms of governance and even managing upwards you know in terms of your board of directors and then managing your own team there's loads of different facets to leadership and it's leadership is tough and i think you need to have that basic foundation in place is you know understanding your own ego and understanding your own personality and mindset to really you know be nuanced uh, at that mastery
1: I love, the, I love the
0: notion of discipline. One of, the, one
1: of the great interviews in the book is by a university president by the name of Robert Campbell, and he was arriving at the end of his, of his very, uh, very, very, very uh, well-received term, uh, 10 years with the, the number one liberal arts university in the country, and he, uh, he, he is a large part of why the university stayed at that level. At any rate, in the conversation, William, you've got to love this, he said to me, that is, a, you know, speaking of discipline as a leader, he says he, he brings his leadership team together and he, he always reminds them, we can do anything we want. But we can't do it all. And, right? And then the notion, and then he's, he spoke at length with me during the interview about all the many people who made promises they can't keep as university presidents and never get to enjoy a second term, right? So this notion of, isn't that a great statement? We can do anything we want. We have a completely blank canvas as a leadership group, but we can't do it all. And in fact, if we try to do it all, we'll probably drive the business into the ground and we'll drive ourselves into the ground while we're doing it. So this kind of invocation of discipline and and a framework um, through that whole thing, I think is really fascinating. He's He's the one you speak of lenses. Campbell Campbell's strategic plan for the, get this now, the number one university in the country is a two-by-two two grid with quality education on one side and sustainability on the other, right? And he was, he was this, talk about lenses, isn't that, isn't that a, a, I love that framing of yours that says, you know, or, or others have said, uh, you know, today I have to put this hat on or that hat on or this hat on, but that seems like a lot of work. I like, I like thinking, I, I go to the optometrist and they keep dropping the lenses in front of my eye, right? They stack those lenses. Is it better A or B and C and D? I love the idea that, that uh, you know, I need to walk around as a leader with all of those lenses in my back pocket and then, and then flip the right one out every once in a while, give myself the perspective that's required and then, and then dial in the lens. I really like that. I really like that analogy.
0: And, and discipline is, is a habit. You know, and that's what leadership is, is it's it's those decisions, but it's about how do you create that framework around you? So you talked about like work-life balance. Well, for me, in an organization, you have to have a balanced scorecard in place, you know, and I often would work on with organizations and leaders say, actually, what's your balanced scorecard? How do you know you're keeping everything in check and everything in balance, which is great. And a, a crucial part then of leadership is communication and especially when you're in crisis mode and there's lots of change management programs going on and sometimes you know difficult decisions have to be made but it's how do you make that more seamless or effortless for your your employees and you've a great um, example in your book we talk about the the, the Mallies um they're in the people who make the ambulances uh, so Maybe I remember them because of their Irish background. Uh, so, can you tell our listeners about that? Because I think what their novel approach was really good.
1: Yeah, the Mali stood out for me. Uh- for two reasons. One, and, and it, you know, the, the, the thing you're driving at, I think it was completely serendipitous in terms of communication. I mean, the thing, the thing that Terry Malley and Kathy Malley having built an award-winning ambulance business, shipping ambulances and vehicles around the world, is that they ask really, well, Terry especially, they ask really hard questions, right? They, they, they just unabashedly, you Now, you need to create a climate in order to do that, correct? And, and, and we could talk at length about what they do to create psychological safety. And allows them to then ask hard questions that don't devastate people. In fact, they inspire people. So, they... but in that, in the, in the course of those conversations, to your point, um, Terry admitted to me that that you know people just loved, loved, loved when they would shut production down for thirty minutes. They'd all sit in the middle of the floor, and Terry would tell them simply what's going on with the business. Here's the plan. Here's the successful account we just got. in in Delaware in the United States. Here's the file that we're working on in Poland and in, and in the UK. So, so he quickly realized that you know, th- this kind of throwaway conversation, the kind of thing that he would have with you and I over lunch, you know, when I said, so how's business? And, and in fact, I, I've used that framing before with other leaders. And they said, well, what should I talk about when I have this kind of town hall communication exercise three or four times a year? And I said, how's business? You can just start there, right? I mean, and people lap it up and oh, well, we can't tell them all the numbers and we can't share. No, that's fine. You don't have to, but do tell the stories of what would make me excited to be part of this team because there's some great things coming up, right? And share with me the disappointments of the contract that we didn't get as well, that's okay. But as long as we have that kind of future focus that, that really speaks to what we're working towards, it inspires people. So yeah, you're, you're right. Leadership is communication. We focus a lot on one-on-one right, in the work that we do, you and I, and so on. But, but I think those kinds of, and he's not a grand pronouncement kind of leader, but boy, the motivational impact of those 30 minutes, four times a year, he said, outstripped all the barbecues and one-on-ones and check-ins that he could do in a lifetime. So, so you're right. Um, again, how leaders intervene, how they create the conditions, and then how they communicate around them.
0: And that reminded me of some of my clients or some of the people that I met. And sometimes through my coaching assignments, people will come to me to how do I do those organizational communications? And, how, you know, I talk about authenticity and, you know, how to communicate your message, but having a, you know, a very refined message as well, you know. And as you were talking about the, the Malleys there, um, for me, I met a business owner in Montana and he was, he focused on radical honesty and candor and everything was up on the wall on whiteboards in terms of productivity, in terms of profitability, income and expenses. And everybody had this joint ownership. And what he did was well, people say, well, how how are you revealing the bottom line? And he's, he, you know, and he says, you're not afraid of people to take advantage of the numbers and, you know, all that. And he says, well, They've got an investment in this. We've got a profit sharing scheme. And what if they want more profits? Well, you know, if they're taking care of revenue generators, or if we're spending too much in terms of expenses, everybody wins. And I was kind of going, but but I says, you're making assumptions then that everybody, you know, um, will have that financial acumen. And he says, funny that you mentioned that. What he did was he taught everybody how to manage their personal finances. Wow. Right. So money financial then was... Financial literacy, yeah. Giving them that those financial literacy then to say, okay, why are you leaving? Because I need to pay for this. Okay, so let me help you out. What do you need to, you know, meet your childcare needs or whatever? And he has not a single person left his company in five years. And then when it comes to workplace culture and all that... There's no knowledge lost, everything is constant innovation and improvement, you know, and they're just keep keep um expanding in size which is which is brilliant and then you started talking about that whole notion of psychological safety and trust because it's linked you know and and that's why sometimes leaders don't share that vulnerability because they don't trust people or even themselves they're not creating that psychological safety. They might have blind spots that they're actually creating that distrust by closing themselves off. Can you tell us a little bit more about your insights there?
1: Yeah, the, the, the no, I think the notion of candor is, is really interesting. Um, you, you, I used to think that workplaces, a long time ago, I used to think that workplaces, people, everybody was happy and shiny and smiley. And, and certainly there's room for laughter and there's room for all of that kind of work. Um, Happiness at work and all I mean, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a I'm not poo-pooing having a good time at work. However, I think that workplaces are much more about the joy of problem solving with others that I like to problem solve with. And that's not always easy and happy and laughy. And then and then, right? So 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 you know, coming to understand um, just the importance of candor as the foundational element. So so. Imagine the team that looks forward to coming to work every day to work with one another. They look forward to solving the problems that they have to solve because work is about solving problems. And then when it gets bumpy or things are uncomfortable or things get said that shouldn't, there is this climate of truth telling. There's this, There's this. you know, there are no difficult conversations from the point of view of it's not going to be difficult because I'm going to be made to feel ridiculous or I'm going to be I'm going to be ridiculed or I'm going to be fl- sloughed off and said, you know, they're there. That's not an issue. Quite the opposite. In the high candor, those kind of high truth-telling environments, the joy is being able to sit down with your colleague and say, this is not working for me and here's why. When you do this, I feel like, you know, all the kinds of coaching. And I think that's the beauty, right, is, is that if you can imagine, if you can coach much like the CEO who coaches financial literacy, that's brilliant at a personal level to create a foundation for people to understand organizational financials. Imagine if from a a truth-telling high candor environment, you know, we coach and train that. We bring our teams to the point where not only can they have, um, you know, solid problem-solving capabilities and great team skills and so on, but they're able to have really hard talks with each other and it doesn't devastate the team. It doesn't throw people out of kilter. Maybe we're a little bruised for today, but by tomorrow we're fine. And you've seen those workplaces like I have, who have that, you know, they have a roll up their sleeves, let's solve problems. I'm happy to be here with you solving those problems. And we all know that if things are bumpy or inappropriate or uncomfortable, we're simply going to talk about them. And I think that when a leader can strive for that, and to your point, I probably have to model that, don't I? Right. I'm thinking the only way to do that is to demonstrate that kind of vulnerability and candor yourself and to role model those difficult conversations. And, you know, I was I was just really saddened when um, I was on a panel recently and the question was, what are you hearing from employers amidst all of the, the reality that we're in? And a number of times, you know, what came up, William? Is managers admitting that they're not having difficult conversation with their folks because they don't want to upset the Apple cart at this time? And I thought, you know, that's that that's kind of well intentioned, but probably misguided. And in and in fact, although you know conversations are never easy when they're you know prickly topics, doing it virtually is no easier or by text, heaven heaven help us, <laughs> or by email. But but avoidance of those that candor avoidance of those conversation may be one of the things we need to fight against and, uh, as we kind of enter into this kind of, has that been your, do you have any sense of that as well, the, the, that avoidance of some issues or of conversations?
0: Yeah, so I'm actually a, a partner in a, in a mediation uh, foundation in Ireland business and we're actually going to have an episode on breakthrough conversations, I think that's episode four or five, and it is that whole notion of that you were talking about managing expectations is that, that you're realistic going into the workplace to say, listen, it's, you know, it's not always going to be full of joy. That Sometimes we do need to have those difficult conversations. And often when you go into workplaces that are really successful, you know, it, by the way, when you walk in, you can sense that tension, can't you? you know, in, in the place. And what often people will say there, when you go to a healthy environment, people will say, it's tough, but fair, at least, you know, where you stand. And people care about you in a way that if they're giving you feedback, it's because they have positive intentions behind it. You know, and I do think that sometimes people are recruited. You talked about your, your experience as being a recruiter, you know, it's a, about not having a psychological contract break or breach, you know, that you're 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 not breaking promises to say, listen, we are, you know, the number one in terms of, you know, the best companies to work for or whatever. It's like say, listen this is what this is how we like to behave here. This is how we're going to carry on in terms of the interview. So at least there's no kind of like that false dating that goes on in in interviews, you know, probably see the, the sun, moon, and the stars, and then the reality is very different. So again, it goes does go back to that um honesty piece. And I think, you know, if you do have that learning culture there, you know, yourself as an organization, yourself as a leader, then you know it really is you know where the work that has to be done so your work as a leader as your own individual work but also the work that your team needs to needs to create um there okay so for me what I we're coming near the end of the podcast now Pierre and what I'd like to do is maybe if you were to give a leader that is facing troubling times some key takeaways what are they kind of key takeaways that uh, would be helpful to them?
1: Well, I I think we've mentioned a couple of them. I'll add a third. Uh, The first one for me is your people are looking to you for a plan, a direction, and a sense of of where we're headed. And even if that might be um, a little murky, um, it, it needs to be talked about a lot. Leadership is weekly, right? It's been my experience. The evidence shows that. Weekly conversations about where we're heading the plan weekly conversations about your role as an employee and what I expect of you. And the one that I would add, we've talked about those two, the one that I would add is about about really clearly communicating to people that you care about their well-being. So I think, I think those are the three things that people really are looking for. And when I talk about well-being, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, that means your physical and mental health. That means your career you know, I, I can imagine there are numbers of conversations going on with people saying, look, William, we need, we need to put you over there during the crisis through COVID. This, this is not where your career track was taking you, but we need to do that. And I think if people are thrown about willy-nilly and that, that's one thing. However, if a leader sits down with you and says, look, this is a temporary move. Let's talk about your future. So, so this, this ongoing need to talk about people's future and part of their well-being People's financial, you know, we are not responsible for financial security of our employees, but we are responsible to show care about their financial well-being. So to be uh, appropriately curious, uh, not overstepping our bounds about that. And then ultimately work is social. Um, You know, I think as a leader, I need to be mindful of the fact that at least half of my team, if not more, work, one of the most important things for them is the human connection at work. What am I doing to work that in either a virtual setting or a hybrid setting or if we're essential workers or key workers and we're we're there how am i honoring that and paying attention to that because the social component you know we used to flippantly say as managers well they'll they'll find friends at work well no right now it's kind of one of the most important components of my feeling engaged in my work is connected to a larger group of people because i, I might be sitting in an office bedroom quite a bit and the last thing of course is community i think i think i need to care about Need to communicate to you that I care about your place in our community. Um, so yeah, I, I think leaders would do well to do those things. And you know, we, we've we've skirted around learning culture two three times. I might leave that as a key takeaway. For me, that's about leaders who are really open to asking lots of questions and experimentation, and really working with people to help them grow. And and through this time, just because we're in troubled times doesn't mean we shouldn't be focused on people's learning because I think uh, I think that's pretty key as well
0: and that's the beauty about humanity at work is there's so many questions there for you to to ask of yourselves so Pierre if people were to get in contact with you or to purchase your book how might they do so
1: so everywhere that quality books are sold, I think is uh, is the uh, is the statement. In uh, audiobook will be released. Uh, we're hoping sometime next week. Ebook is available, and of course hardcover as well. And uh, www.pierrebata.com. Um, will find me and uh, I'm happy to keep uh, sharing this good work. This Humanity at Work project has brought people like you and I back together after a few years of, of, uh, of not being as closely connected as, as we once were and, uh, and we are now and I, I look forward to carrying on that work.
0: Pierre, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and for launching that. I really appreciate it. And uh, that is the end of our podcast today. For the next episode, we will have Fiona Buckley and she is an executive coach who will be talking about the topic of working from home and remote isolation. Thank you very, very much for listening today. That's it for this episode of the Workplace Podcast. My special thanks to this week's guest for a wonderful discussion. If you want to get in contact with a podcast about a workplace topic or a particular challenge that you're facing, contact me via Twitter at different paths. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn, William Corless, C-O-R-L-E-S-S, or go to my website, www.yellowwood.ie. Yellowwood your external learning and development partner. Provide your executive coaching, facilitation and training. Take a different path to success with your career, leadership, team and organisation.